provision and protection. Good. We will. We'll definitely. Two focuses. Two focuses, yeah. How to have faith and protect you from pride. How's that? Combine it. No, pride is serious, a serious issue. Uh, the, way, the way I've, I've heard is one of the, uh, the first recorded sin in the Bible. You know, the sin of pride was found. And, uh, and so, if we tackle one big, big issue, maybe it will help with the other issues. But, but there's definitely divine protection available. Absolute, 100% divine protection. As divine and as complete as the Passover. And the Passover, remember the Jewish history was a complete protected and their houses was peace. As types of Christ, what Christ is going to come to do. And it took his, the, the blood of a lamb that typifies again the, the blood of the Son of God that will protect you 100%. And, uh, and but the protection is in, in, I would say threefold. First of all, the blood is in the doorpost. The signifies of his uh, pouring his blood in his body. But and so the angel sees the the angel of destruction sees the, the the blood sign and just bypasses. It doesn't. In fact, several translation says, but in the angel of destruction, but brought joy to the houses of Israel. So. He didn't just, but just kind of brought some blessing to the house of Israel. And then, uh, second thing that they, 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 they had to do was to get rid of all leaven and fix themselves unleavened bread. Right? Very important fact. And that is the type of sin, type of the mixture. Even Paul deals with that issue of leaven later on several times. He's watched the leaven of the Pharisees, Jesus said. Then Paul says, uh, remove the, the leaven that has come in because it contaminates you. So remove the leaven from your midst so that you could remain or be unleavened bread as you, in, as you are. So we're already made that way, but we have to make sure that the mixtures are not coming in. In, in the book of Galatians, in the book of Galatians, in uh, Corinthians, is uh, promiscuity, lifestyle promiscuity, sinking into the church. And, and Paul goes, "What are you doing? Why are you bringing this into your lifestyle? That's not you." So he he talks about that. But in the book of Galatians, is, is these mixtures that are mixing your beliefs, you know. So it's just what are you doing with this? And so so that that's the the, the mixtures. Because you think, you think those things are good. They come from seemingly good, good, well-meaning sources, you know. But the Father has established you as already as a son and given you complete access to, to, to himself. So mind him, talk to him, individually and corporately, and... And how one of the things that uh, that uh, really there are two sacraments that we're given to keep. One is to do official public water baptism, 
which is demonstrating or, or testifying that you were baptized in, in his death. So the water baptism is a visual of what happened to you when you became born again. You're baptizing his death, and the, that signified the end of old your old existence. And as you're raised from the water, beginning of the new. So you do that publicly. So that's the first sacrament. It's a one time. Second one is as often as you do as a communion. And it's a corporate thing that we do to to do what? Celebrate or remember again his death. And so as often as we do, we remember, we mindful, or we celebrate, we, we feast, we celebrate his amazing sacrifice to end our relationship to evil. So we're no longer evil in nature, but we're God in nature. God is good, of course, so we're good, but it's, it's a virtue that is because of who we're in relationship with. We're no longer with our evil dad, Satan, but we're one with our dad, heavenly dad, who's good. And so, but yet that is relational, meaning it keeps us as we are eating, keeps us as we are fellowshipping. And that's what the Passover signifies also, because all night they were not just sitting there trembling, but they were feasting. They're supposed to eat everything from that lamb. Roast the lamb and eat it. And feast all night. And it's a type and shadow of the Christian life. Christian life is life of feasting. And as long as you feast, the evil can't touch you. And so here's the divine protection in a very small and short kind of synopsis. The divine protection consists consist in, you know, slaughtering of the lamb, which he does that. He's, you know, the, the, the type was they, they did a lamb, but each family did a lamb. But in a, in a big picture of Christ, he came to, to be slaughtered. So the, the father slaughters the lamb, the son of God, slaughters his, his son. To end your relationship with your your all identity, to to destroy your all identity and end its false your false uh, slavery your your slavery to Satan. It's that's not what you what you created for. You created to have relationship with the Heavenly Father. So he, the death ends that. The blood testifies, but then you get to feast all night, yeah. which is a type. Of our, our ongoing relationship with the Lord. In fact, uh, then when they celebrate the a whole week of the death festival, the, the Passover, it's, it's a week-long festival, there was one time that they wanted to have a two weeks. Can we have extra? Can we have an extended version? Because it felt so good. Because when they commune, even in the Old Testament, this whole thing starts to manifest. And they feel this protection as a nation. They feel this divine protection spiritually. They feel supernatural protected by the enemies. They feel um, economically blessed and protected from the curse of the earth. You know, 
every crops are always on time everything God's promised everything to be on time you know as they're as they're responding really to you know making sure the Levites are taken care of and all that and um, which is a just a just a just a token of appreciation giving back into the hype into the priests so they can continue to do what they're supposed to do they're always crap is good rains on time the enemy can't touch your crop guaranteed promise as you're faithful to tithe from your income and support the, 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 the Levites which God ordained not to touch any other business they're they're it cannot touch any business. They cannot own businesses. They cannot own enterprises. The only thing they can own is their houses. And they can own, la- uh, not land, but they can own um, animals and giving grazing rights. The other tribes allow them to graze, have their animal, animals graze. They can't own the land, but they're allowed to have their cows in, a, in others' pastures, you know. Because they're they're only given one job to do, to minister to the Lord and to represent Israel in, in every way the Lord requires. So as, as we're doing that, you know, then you're divinely protected economically. He's, he's activating his divine protection. And then, as I said last night, the seventh year, all debts are canceled and you get to party a whole year. National party, like Fourth of July, <laughs> the whole year. <laughs> Three hundred sixty-five Fourth of Julys, feasting, fireworks, nothing but parties on the streets everywhere. Like a Esther Day, Esther festival, the Jews take to the street. The city of Susa explodes in joy. Because redemption has finished its work. God has reversed the king. You know, the king reversed the curse. There's, there's now party and celebration. Now it's more dangerous not, not to be a Jew. <laughs> That's what the Bible says. You know, because there's such a redemption and salvation for the Jews hits such a powerful way. Boom! That, that now it's popular to be a Jew. Now it's popular to be a believer. Someday it will be very dangerous not to be a believer. It will be a risky day to end up not being a believer. So the divine protection kicks in. And again, it's all tied in to the, to the death of the son. Because, you know, in the story of... The entire New Old Testament testifies of, of what's coming to the new. You know, in the story of Esther... I don't know about you, but I see Christ in everything. You know, the story of Esther, uh, um, Mordecai is a type of Christ, and, and, and bowing and bending. You know, he's bold, he stands, and, and he's fearless, and he, he provokes the enemy to uh, go destroy the, the Jews. And then Esther... Is the second type of Christ was risking her life and stepping in and to, to, to intercede and stand and and uh, because of it, Mordecai and Esther both type of Christ together and that Haman the enemy of the Jews ends up 
hung in a gallow. That was supposed to be for Mordecai. The enemy gets hung in a gallow. Well, in that story, Christ ends up hanging up. So he, in a way, becomes Haman. He becomes the enemy. He becomes everything to reverse the curse. It's kind of a radical view, but it's... Look at it around and begin to see that pretty much in a very amazing way, Christ becomes sin. He becomes the evil that was killing you to take it away from you, to protect you. And his taking it, taking it is a completed. He, he doesn't leave a little devils to kind of crawl around inside you. He knocks them all out. All their nature, all their dwelling, all their rights to dwell in you, he knocks them all out. Yes. He can fill you with all of himself, head to toe, no room for the enemy. And so he comes in and says, come on, eat me, drink me. I've come for supper. I've come for a fellowship. Supper is not just food, but it's breaking bread, fellowshipping. Come on, I'm here to sit and eat with you. Look at me because I'm looking at you. Look me straight in the eye because I've given everything to, to, for your attention. And he's like a personal guy. He doesn't just kind of send a, a good angel to guide you, you know, guarding angel kind of thing. He is the guarding angel. He is, of course, the angels around, but it's him who is. He got better than the angels. You got Christ inside you. And he's looking for your attention. Come on, dog, another day. Another day to just drink of Jesus. And, and he's looking straight in your eyes, looking for your heart, for your attention, for your affection, for your love. He's, he's giving full affection, for, but you have to look at him. You have the time to look. You have the time to gaze and have to feast on looking at something like feasting or something, like a, looking at a picture of Rembrandt or something original. Wow. Have you seen original paintings? They look like the, the copy, but look like. But when you go to the museum where the real painting is there, you get affected. I remember that in, in Amsterdam, seeing Rembrandt's original paintings. I've seen them in, in art books and things like I'm familiar with, but when I walked in, near the picture when I got close to it boom, the power of the talent of how I manipulate lights and how you just oh, just piercing you know that he was a master Rembrandt was a master with light of course all artists that are good they, they know how to commun- you know, communicate and play with colors and put colors in a perspective that affects you and he's just master at that. And he just, like, like something burns from his picture and touches you emotionally. You go, wow, he can't. So how much more the master? Christ, he just wants to burn through. So expose yourself. Go into exhibition. Go to the Christ ex- Expo and just look at him every day. <laughs> you have a direct access. Better than the French lure or whatever that. That in Paris, the, the famous art gallery, huh? Louvre, Louvre, Louvre. <laughs> London, 
Museum of Art and so forth. And I've been to some of these cities. Rome, they'll have a, a place of art, original art. Well, Jesus has got the best art exhibit. And guess what? You are his masterpiece. <laughs> That's what one translation says. The Catholic version actually says, you're the piece of art. Like he, you're his masterpiece. Because he's the creator. He created us for these great works we are to step into. He creates us for good works. Works follow. The works that he set aside for you to do are after fact of the good works that he does in you, makes you an art piece and then you, you know, through you he, he, he creates that into others. That's why we get these rewards in heaven. That's so personal. The rewards are amazingly personal. The sun is gold and silver and straw and, and you figure out what's straw, what's paper, what wood, hay and stubble, what's gold, what's silver. You figure it out, and you better figure it out because you'd be your personal reward. Every single one of us will stay at the day before the Lord, and He'll evaluate and give you rewards gold, silver, whatever. So don't let anybody mess with that because it's your reward. Don't mess with my rewards. I won't mess with yours. I can inspire you, but you got to figure it out because it's a personal reward. All I can tell is, go for the gold. <laughs> go for the gold. Don't sell for the, the temporary things. Amen? The true prosperity is eternal prosperity. Their values that will be riches will last forever. He doesn't want to just bless you here. He wants to bless you for eternity. He's after eternal blessing. You. And some of us are getting closer to the day. And we're thinking about that. Gee, I wonder what kind of eternal blessings are going to be mine. Amen? So, as you're, as, you, as you're doing your revival meetings, now, think about the eternal rewards. He's, he's going after revival meetings, and there's nothing more exciting to see that. The only thing more exciting is having eternal revival rewards. <laughs> so, go for the gold now. The Lord, I don't want to just, you know, power and glory and fire now. I just want it eternal. Because the fire will be there to burn everything that is not eternal. So only that, that, that don't burn is things like gold, which they melt, but they're stained. They're the same. That nothing changes. They're already purified. They're gold. And gold sustains fire. The other side of the fire is just as much as gold as before the fire. Not so with paper. It's gone. 
but gold goes through the fire. Silver goes through the fire. Precious stones, they're unchangeable. And that's eternal. So go for that. Amen. Amen. I want to take, I want to take uh, just a few, few minutes to connect you with the passion of my heart for others. Not for me, but for others. And I want to show you that DVD of the exciting work that God is honoring us to be a part of and we'll receive a love offering and then I'll f- come, come back and I want to finish the teaching on the difference of, of, of how true faith keeps us from pride it's a very very key issue that I felt like the Lord wanted us to cover so last night these two did an amazing job of inspiring us with your passion and heart for, for the lost so I'll turn over the offering taking to you again <laughs> and I <clears throat> I went personally and my birthday in fact the picture was from a year ago from my birthday when I was doing a piñata and stuff that was my birthday it was, good, it was the greatest gift I had to be with these 40 children and so we have completed uh, rebuilding the orphanage to a full capacity allowed by the government we allow 40 children we have 12 people staff to, to be able to have uh, 12 children, to, to have 40 children. Uh, and so now the government is so pleased and so blown away by what we're doing with these children, how we take care of them, which it was a process. I, I had to go several times to Nicaragua just to figure out what exactly they need uh, to to survive and to be well, because I'm raising leaders. They're going to change Nicaragua. I'm not just yes. taking children off the poverty, but I'm taking them into their leadership. And they're all like that quality kids, you know, amazing. But it took it took a process to figure out what a child like that needs to 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 make it. And of course, you'll see in the picture one of the kids, one of the girls is doing them a little makeup and a little. Kid, children everywhere the same. Yeah. American girls and <laughs> Nicaraguan girls, they all like beauty. So, so we calculated money in the budget for beauty yeah. for the girls. Mm-hmm. We had to add five bucks. <laughs> it's, it's not like American girls. It takes a lot more than five bucks. <laughs> Even at 10 years old. <laughs> Girls like little things. Thankfully, it's, it's the standard of living is lower, so five bucks does it. But we have to have put a lip locks and whatever they, they like. <clears throat> but I had to calculate everything. I'm just giving you a process. You like families. I just want you to know the struggle. The struggle with the third world is so chaotic and that there's no, you can't figure it out. And, and no matter how much money you give, it just goes crazy. So I just went there to know exactly, because like, <clears throat> like we're American corporation, we're American charity, so we need to report to IRS every dollar, because we're tax-free, exempt, we're tax-exempt. Everything you, you, you give for us is ex- tax-free, and they also give you tax-exempt. But for that, it requires accounting. So we're going there, and how much it costs to take care of kids? We don't know. They don't know. I says, wait a minute. 
What's a pound of sugar? What I mean, we figured it out. So we figured out the food budget. Then we figured out the, the cost of running the facility. Then we figured out the salary for the 12 staff. We figured everything out. <clears throat> it's about $100, slightly over $100 for a month for take care of one kid. Amazing. Amazing low price for what it does. And uh, so we are supplying. We committed. So here's 5000 a month to take care of every single expense, including makeup, <laughs> lip gloss, yeah, everything. And so, and we have a short-term missionary to go there and, and do additional things, such as teaching them how to play guitar or something, anything that, or, or additional carpenters coming to help and fix things, you know, whatever we can find that volunteers. So, several reports I got from volunteers that everything goes great, great. At the end of the month, they run out of food. Last five days or last week or three to five days, the kids have juice and bread for breakfast. I go, wait a minute. I put eggs in there. <laughs> I pay for eggs. So what, what's wrong with this picture? We don't know. It's always like this at the end of the month. We run out of food. I said, how can you run out of food? I went over with you every detail from the first to the last day of the month. So what happened? So I'm investigating. And of course, I... I trust them because I know the integrity of the staff and the integrity of the leaders. So it's not like I'm questioning them doing something wrong. And with, with the, but I'm trying to figure out what is the deal. Come to find out, the staff eats with the children. According to their culture, you eat where you work. But that's not my culture. <laughs> I pay you salary. I'm expecting for you to get to bring your own lunch because I gave you the money for your salary, exactly what you needed. That's my culture here. But they eat with the children. Well, 12 adults eating the children's portion for three meals a day. No wonder they run out of food at the end of the month. They go, okay, no problem. I'll, I'll add an extra budget. But I'm trying to figure this thing out because I'm bringing... Excel sheet. <laughs> and they've never, never even seen that. But I said, this is how you're going to do it. You're going to put everything. Because my accountant works with Excel sheets. So they don't know how to do it. So we're sending our accountant to teach them how to put Excel sheet. And put everything in. Anyways, I'm just giving you a little story. Just to tell you, the struggle is not oft, often the money, but how it's managed. And how it's properly taken care of. And, and it works like a charm. So now the government is saying, please, please, quickly build more orphanages like yours because that's what, that's what we need tremendously. So just go ahead and play this DVD. and I want to make you fall in love. <laughs> okay. Okay, cool. Well, um... And that changes things quite a bit, um, because if we classify those kids as our family, uh, that changes things just a wee bit, <laughs> just a small bit. So that is our family. Like it's so cool that those are 
our brothers and sisters, um, that really cute smiles, those are our brothers and sisters, and uh, we want to take care of them. Like, we really do want to take care of them. Um, we have, we're blessed to be in the United States, um, to have a standard of living that's ridiculously high, <laughs> comparatively, um, and we have the means, and just, as you know, the giving, as we give, like, it's going to just come back. Like, there's going to be so much blessing. And it's so cool to see. Um, I've, I believe we're called to live in a place with such extravagance that it just literally breaks, like, this poverty thing <laughs> that we think, feel like that we don't have enough to give, um, which we do. <laughs> so um, we just really want to just give out. This is our family. Like, that's those are those are the kids are my sisters and brothers, which I really want to meet them now. <laughs> so I'm gonna hand it over. That's awesome. That's such a good word. <laughs> That's awesome. I was talking to Georgian earlier, and, and I was just hearing his heart. And there's something that he's been saying in the message, and I wish I could count how many times I've heard it today. It's the word personal. And as he was telling me, like his heart for these kids, it's extremely personal for him. They are not projects. Like Nate said, they're not missions. Like I can see the look in his eyes as he's telling me. I can see the joy of a father. Like it's personal when he goes there. You've seen him in the like DVD and he's like pinching their cheeks and giving them a kiss. Like he knows them. He knows their stories. He knows their names. These aren't just projects. You know, this isn't like his whole message with being a son. He's doing this because he's a son that's become a father. Not... You know what I mean? It's just not, it's not a work for him. This is his joy. And so I just want to just, I want to partner with him and see more. I want to see multiplications. I want to see how many more orphanages can we open above and beyond Nicaragua. You know what I mean? Like, so I just want to encourage everybody, join your hearts, like the partnerships, like one-time gift, if that's what you can do, that's great. But even consider becoming a partner of this. And think of the fruit. You know what I mean? Just think of it. Just think of the kids that are just all those smiling faces. It just makes me happy. I'm getting really excited. So I just want to pray for this offering and take your time and think about what you want to give. And we, if we could have the uh, Lisa, Tanya, can you go with Lisa as well? And then David and Sarah, could you guys do the baskets again, please? Thank you. Awesome. Oh, Jesus. God, I just thank you. Thank you. Wait a moment. Okay. Thank you, God. Thank you for being so personal. Thank you for being such a great father. God, I thank you for those smiling faces. I thank you that you are a father to the fatherless, that they're not even called fatherless anymore. I thank you that the orphan spirit has been sucked dry, dead, gone, never to live again. And God, I just thank you that as we are sowing our hearts First and importantly, our hearts, and second, our finances, that we are going to see fruit beyond measure. God, it's not, even, it's not even about the fruit. It's about these people's lives. It's about these kids' smiles. It's about them knowing the gospel. It's about them becoming leaders. And so we just partner for that generation. And we say we love them, as Nate said earlier, as family. And I pray even right now that they begin to feel our love, that they begin to feel our support, that they begin to feel the encouragement, even from Indy. So I just thank you, Jesus, that you will multiply this above and beyond what we could ask, think, or imagine. In Jesus' name.
Uh, make checks out to Global Celebration, and if you need, uh, like, to give by credit card or debit card, uh, just raise your hand, and we do have, uh, like, uh, envelopes to um, work with that. So if you need that with credit card or debit card, just keep your hand raised until we get something to you. Um, checks, again, go to Global Celebration, and uh, we are going to keep this rolling. Just take your time, no rush. Holy Spirit's in a rush, so we're not, no, wait. Holy Spirit is not in a rush. Gosh! When I get in, yeah, he is a rush, that's true. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> Okie dokie. So we're just going to turn this over to Georgie, and after we kind of do this, and uh, we'll be good to go. Yeah, take your time and fill up the uh, information. And I'm getting you hooked. <laughs> I'm getting you hooked. I want you to go with me. Yes. I'm going you to go with me. I want you to to deliver the hugs personally. Yeah. I want you. Do you need a? a Not very much. It's one that is the cheapest of our all of trip. First of all, because it's in Central America, uh, from Houston, the flight is only two and a half hours, so it's very close. Or Flor or Miami, same, but under three hours, two 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 and a half. And uh, the uh, because it's it's such a competitive thing with the flights. Uh, usually, we take care of all the trips. Uh, we find the best deal as a group, but for Nicaragua, everybody get his own tickets, and, and because sometimes the internet can beat, and even the last minute, what any kind of agent would do as a corporate rate. So we we usually let everybody get their own tickets. You, we just ask you to arrive a certain date, and this particular time in in December is on uh, 23rd, and then from that point on, we arrange you being picked up. From the airport situated, and uh, it, it's all on the website. I'm not sure exactly what the cost is, but it's, it's certainly cheaper than the Apostles Paul step or Holy Land trip or Africa is the, the highest because it's the most expensive to get there and so forth. So, um, love to have you come, bring you hugs, bring you smile. And first time I went there, they asked me to bring some turkeys, <laughs> and I'm going. What? They go, yeah, Turkey is a huge treat for the orphans, so would you please bring a few frozen turkeys? He says, how do, you, how do you bring turkeys from America? Oh, in your suitcase. <laughs> that's, what, that's what he said. The orphan guy, the director. I'm going, this is, that, that's not... Says, yes, it's okay. It's going to work. So I didn't believe, but last, last minute I went to... Walmart bought a suitcase and bought four frozen turkeys, stuck them, stuck them in there, thinking this is a waste of money. It's going to get confiscated. Sure enough, I arrived there in the airport. They opened the suitcases and they see these turkeys. <laughs> and the customs eyes light up. Oh, turkeys. Oh, good. Very good. I just let them go. So we've been doing, yeah, so go ahead, pass all the, uh, for those interested in trips, get one of those brochures if you haven't got one.
Here, here's one. Your daughter went yes. to Bulgaria. And what did she tell you, honestly? Um, she just fell in love with the, with the children. And she said they would just come up to her and hug her. And so she would just embrace them back. And she's, it just changed her whole life. Yeah, it did. So she had a wonderful time. She's a pastor. Yes, she's a pastor's wife, yes, and, uh, and a worship leader. And she's an awesome gal. But she loved to be with you, and she loved the, the excitement of the people. Uh, she said they danced. They just danced and danced and danced. So she said uh, that was that was awesome. <laughs> that trip was is amazing. Also, the Apostle Paul's trip. Okay, if you're ready with the, filling up the information, legibly in English. <laughs> Don't write in tongues, please. <laughs> and the credit card. <laughs> Our bank's not gonna like interpretations. Okay, well, let's, let's get to the Word, if you're ready. Everybody ready? ready? Okay, we want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for helping us open another one. We're going 10 days from now, we'll be there to the grand opening of the next orphanage. And one after another, we're going to build. We invited to two more cities immediately, beside Nick, Nick, in Managua also. Because the government requirements are so stinking high. I mean, some things need to be there, but some things is almost like ridiculous. Why do you want this? But they, the requirements of the government are so high that their own government-owned orphanages can't meet it. And they're shutting down their own orphanages. And there's tons of kids there because they can't meet their own requirements. So it's one of those things. But you see the, the point that they want the standards. And we're meeting. We're glad to meet him. Okay, let's go on the standards of God here. I read from Romans 4 and Romans 3 as a prepping um, for the Romans 6. The, to me, the Romans 6 is the pinnacle of the mountain. You know, it's the, the mountain of redemption. Starts with Romans 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 just culminates. At the, at the peak of the achievements of Christ. And so, you can get stuck in Romans 2, or Romans 3, or Romans 4, or Romans 5. But keep climbing, because it's the same mountain, but the view is better from the top. <laughs> See things way clearer. And so, to me, that's what, uh, you know, there's truth, and then also greater truth. And then there's even greater than that. They're both true, but one is greater. Like, like uh, the, the spies. Twelve spies go out there. They both see the same thing. All of them see the same thing. None of them lie. None of them lie. They all say, they, they say what was true. It's true that there was giants. And it's true that they were huge. But that's not the whole truth. The truth is, there's also God, who is bigger than the giants infinitely bigger and if you see this the, the, the giants from a, a, a point of view from below like a grasshopper you freak out and you lose your destiny you give it up because you're too scared to go in there you know and so so the seeming giant 
the seeming giant problems are designed to scare you and manipulate you and make you lose your inheritance and you know but but if you if you hang out with God like Joshua hung out with God even though he couldn't hang out with God like Moses Moses was inside the tent he and God just had free reign go for it come on Moses I love you Come inside the tent. Let's hang out. And so Moses is allowed in the tent. No one else is allowed in the tent. So everybody stays in their tents while Moses is having fellowship with God, except Joshua. He's not standing in his tent. He wants to get in that tent, and he's not allowed in. So he's getting as close to that tent you know, one inch and he gets killed, but he's right there. He's not allowed in, but he okay, I'm not allowed in, but I'll stay one inch away. And stick my ear on the tent and listen to that conversation and drink of it. And that's what made Joshua of different spirit. Because the Bible says in two, two places, he says he, he was right by the tent where Moses was. And then also, Moses rehearsed the, the the book of Revelation in in in, in, uh, in uh, Joshua's ears. He rehearsed it over and over. He heard the word that he wrote down from from the revelations of God. He rehearsed it in Joshua's ears, and that's those two things: hanging out to the to the presence as close as you can get without getting killed, and hearing the word over and over again, is what made him a man of a different spirit. And Caleb was the same way. I'm sure Caleb was somewhere next to Joshua. What are they saying? Shh, I'll tell you later. <laughs> it says these two are different spirits. Somehow they had a relationship and those two. So um, that made them men of different spirit. What was this different spirit? The difference they saw things from God's point of view, from his word, from his presence. And for his presence, the giants seem like small potatoes. The huge giants look like peanuts down from God's point of view. It says, hey, we're going to have a peanut butter for breakfast. We're going to have peanut butter sandwiches. I'm just kind of making that up. But, but it did say there will be bread for us. So I'm just adding the peanut butter for fun. <laughs> you add whatever you want but whatever you do come to an agreement with God that those problems are going to be your breakfast your problems you're going to eat it and it can make you stronger and you make you make God look greater and greater your daddy because he promised to defeat everything he promised to make you a head and not the tail above and not beneath their feet he promised and he swore to make you that Come on. He swore to make you that. I'm committed to the end for you, to be there for you. Who? So, you know, and sure enough, those who didn't believe, it was true, but it was evil. How can something true be evil? Because it's not completed. It's not the complete 
picture. Just because something is true doesn't mean that it's the truth, you know, the, the whole truth, nothing. But it's, it's the whole picture. If you see only one aspect. So that's what I'm saying. Read the Word and culminate with what the Word declares to be the, the end of evil. Come to that place where He provides the end of the slavery to sin and to lies. Sin is, in essence, a distortion, and it's in its essence, is misunderstanding. Something that's error, erroneous. Something that has error in it. That's one of the definition of sin. You know, missing the mark. Something that is miss, missing the point. You're not there, or miss. You're misunderstanding something. You know. Error in the understanding is one of the uh, definitions of sin. There's some sort of a distortion from what is really, really the truth. You know, It's almost the truth. That's the worst lie. It's almost true. <laughs> like there's a book now about, uh, it's a very popular book. Don't even name uh, the name, the author or anything, but it, it has to do with um, distortions that, makes you feel like there's no heaven, there's no hell, there's no, well, there's heaven, but there's no hell, and there's no anything. And anyways, it's just a blur, you know. And so it's, it's, it's a dangerous book because it's so nice. It's very nice. And while God is kind, but not necessarily soft. <laughs> so... Kindness and severity exist side by side. Kindness with the gentle shoot, severe with the dead wood. You go figure it for yourself. Whatever you do, just don't become a dead wood. <laughs> Piece of advice. <laughs> okay. So, what is the dead wood in your mind? Just an illustration from the tree. You see both connected to the tree, but one doesn't produce fruit, doesn't allow juice to, to flow anymore. So I don't know why not what that, but, but we're branches, right? The Bible says we're branches. We're connected to the vine. Let the juice flow. Yeah. Let it flow. As long as you let the juice flow, they'll be green. You always remain green and fresh. And there will be always fruit. The fruit of the vine will come. The vine is powerful to make its fruit. And it's not, it's not your fruit. It's, it's the fruit of the vine. The vine supplies the juice. The vine, the vine has the energy, has life. And chose you to be a branch, to hang in there and process. Let, let, the, let the juice flows. I'm trying to make it real simple. <laughs> Like, like Bulgarian simple. <laughs> it's simple. And I'm, I'm from a simple background. And, and I want to simplify things for me to get it. And hanging out with God, you start reducing things to very simplest, simple things. You know, so we don't get complicated and confused. So let me simplify one thing here. Get a, a simple perspective on the, on, the, on the issue with pride. Because pride is a, a big issue. So, from Romans 4, I'll read a passage about Abraham again. And God says that Paul uses Abraham's life. says, Abraham, humanly speaking, 
the founder of the Jewish nation. What was his experience concerning the question of being saved by faith? Was it because of his good deeds that God accepted him? If so, he would have something to boast about. But from God's point of view, Abraham had no basis at all for pride. Wow. So, Abraham's relationship with God, and he's our faith father. So, whatever happens to him is birthed in us through Christ. And that's what, that's what makes us Isaac. We're the Isaacs of God. Galatians says, you brethren are like Isaac. We're not like Ishmael, yeah. thankfully. We're like Isaac. Totally supernatural. Isaac is a gift. It was a gift to Sarah. It was a gift to Abraham. They could not have an Isaac. They could not produce it. They could not perform it. So it's out of their performance capability. They were unable to perform. So they were a failure when it came to producing an Isaac. When it became evident to, the, to, to everybody that neither Sarah, neither Abraham could have a kid, God comes in the scene and says, Okay, you are done trying to help me. You're not convinced you can't help me. Well, because Abraham was convinced that he could help God. And, but his wife had a problem. <laughs> I could do it. But my wife have a problem. So I have a problem. It's not my problem. It's my wife's problem. But now it's my problem. What am I supposed to do? No problem, God. Give me, the, give me another woman. I'll show what I can do. <laughs> we'll help you. That's okay. We know you need a son. I'll produce it for you. Or make you look good here on earth. Don't worry about it. So, what do we get? Actually, to be really truthful to the scripture, it actually was a Sarah's idea. And I think she was pushed to perform. Mm. <laughs> Come on, Sarah. You can do it. I'm trying. Believe. I'm trying to believe. believe. Confess. Really? I believe I can do it. I think so. I hope I believe I think I can do it. I can't do it. Why don't you take my servant in the culture, and that culture was acceptable. Not in this culture today. Okay, don't. Don't think about that. Okay. But that culture was an acceptable thing. The problem is, though, in, in the heavenly culture, it didn't work. It didn't work for the culture of heaven. Because God says, I want you to, I want, I'm going to give you a son from your own wife. What, because Sarah, Sarah is a free woman, and that, her, her, concubine, her, her servant was a slave. Because God wants his son to be free. So he can't be half, you know, half slave, half free, it's not working. Half and half is okay for coffee. But not good for the plan of God. Okay? He wants 100%. Full fat. 
So, back to the story. They do have a son, but it's not Isaac. It's Ishmael. And God refuses to, to birth Christ through a half-slave offspring. He says, I'm going to have my son through a... I'm going to have my son Christ born from a full, full-blooded miracle. Mine. When you're completely unable, I'll show forth what I can do. Then you cannot take credit for Isaac. That's a very important detail. Because otherwise, otherwise Abraham will, be, will take pride and take credit for producing like Ishmael. But finally, God says, kick Ishmael, kick the mother and her offspring out. Because I don't want them mocking at my creation. Religion always mocks the new birth, mocks the, 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 new, the new creation. Mocks because the new creation is hard to explain, can't take credit for it, can't figure it out. It's a gift, you don't know what to do with it, it feels awkward because your mind goes, unless I do it. But your salvation is a gift to you. So get used to it. <laughs> Enjoy it. Amen. And give it away as a gift. Amen. Don't give bondages to people. Give them yeah. the gift yeah. of salvation. Give them the gift of relationship with others. Welcome them to enjoy the relationship without any self-effort. Yeah. Christianity is not based on your effort. But it's based on His effort. That's why we glory nothing but the cross. The death of Christ is done. So now we have a gift, a gift of Isaac, but we have no problem with pride. In essence, Christianity, in its essence, is pride-free. So for Christians to develop problems of pride... It has no base. So, so this is a good, good news for pastors or, or school leaders. You could have a school or you could have a church pride-free. Automatically eliminate the problem and the, the possibility of developing the problem of pride. How, how's that for a school that has no pride at all? How's that for church? No, no pride problem. Everybody flows in spirit of humility. 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 <laughs> humility. <laughs> and the spirit of pride is just not there. At all. Going for the second scripture in that topic. The passage before that, the chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 27. It says, it says, What room there is left for human pride? Question. It's a question. What room is for... It's like, you have a pride problem. And the question is, What pride problem? What are you talking about? Because... Right here says, what room then is left for human pride? You know the answer from the Bible? The Bible man. The Bible answer. <laughs> Look at this. Feast your eyes. <laughs> what room is left 
for human pride. It's excluded. That is Romans 3, verse 27. Simple question. What room is there left for human pride? For the problem. There's no room for the problem. Why? It's excluded. Well, wait a minute. What's excluding it? What's just... Wait a minute. It says the keeping of the law would not exclude it. That's right. But faith does. Faith excludes pride. Have faith, no pride. Have pride, have pride, no faith. Both are mutually excluded. They're mutually excluding. One excludes the other. So, guess what you have? One or the other. Because they're mutually good. One does not make room for the other. (laughs) That's good, Bill. Really good. (laughs) Say that again. (laughs) Philip's translation. What I read you was New English Bible. Philip's translation. What happens now to human pride of achievement? Ooh, that puts it even more edgy there. What happens now to the human pride of achievement? (laughs) There's no more room for it. Why? Because failure to keep the law has killed it? Not at all. But because the whole matter is now in a different plane. Believing instead of achieving. Christianity is a different plane altogether. Religion fosters and capitalizes and promotes achieving. Every human philosophy is based on achievement. Not so with Christianity. Christianity promotes believing. And believing, true believing, happens to exclude pride. Eliminates it. Why? I just read you a passage. What what basis for pride? For God's point of view, Abram had no basis at all for pride. What are you proud about, my son? Abram, Abraham, the whole thing is a gift to you. Remember, you couldn't help me? Sarah could never help me. I knew that. We all knew that. But now you can't help me. Neither one of them can help me. I did, it, I did it both. I used two helpless individuals on purpose. In fact, all three, uh, all three mothers, the first three mothers of the Jewish race were all barren. One after another. Again and again and again. I take barren moon and turn it into fruitful land. Rejoice, O barren one. It's not for your performance. Rejoice in my performance. Your maker is your husband, your maker. I come and I make you fruitful by my effort. You're fruitful because of my achievement. There is achievement required. My achievement, the achievement of Christ, is solely required for you to be a fruitful womb, fruitful wife spiritually, fruitful bride, fruitful people. Come on. Christianity 
is a pride-free religion. It's a pride-free faith. The translation after translation says, the living Bible says, the one thing can we boast about doing to earn salvation? Nothing at all. Why? Because our acquittal is not based on our good deeds. It's based on what Christ has done and our faith in Him. What then can we boast about? Today's English version. Answer? Nothing. (laughs) It's unsubstantiated. There's no base for it. You're sitting here. You're born again believer. No merits of your own. You're sitting here. One one next to another. We cannot take pride except in Him. You can boast about nothing except in Him. You look at your neighbor and you go, Wow, what a great God. What is a great daddy you have. What a great daddy we have. Look at you. Whew. Smelling like a rose. The rose of Sharon is inside you. Wait a minute. It says faith here. Don't we take credit for faith? I mean, after all, we, you know, we're told choose to believe. We're making an effort here. <laughs> I'll finish with that. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2. Start with uh, 5. While we, we were dead, like Sarah's womb. While we were dead, like Abraham's loins. spiritual dead in our disobedience he brought us to life with Christ it is by God's grace that you have been saved in our union with Christ Jesus he raised us up with him to rule with him in in the heavenly world verse 7 he did it to demonstrate for all the time to come the extraordinary greatness of his grace you are a demonstration of His extraordinary, the extraordinary greatness of His grace. You're the demo. Yeah. The proof is in the pudding. Ho! <laughs> oh! Extra, it took extraordinary greatness of grace to create you new in the love that you showed in Christ Jesus. For it is by God's grace that you've been saved through, through faith. But it's not your own doing. Wait a minute. God's grace, okay, I get it. That's His ability. He's just providing. But then I have to believe it. So, that's my mind to do. It says not your own doing. Wait a minute. You're messing with me here. I'm believing, but it's not my own doing. How does that work? It was messing with me for a long time. And I have not heard any explanation from anybody to help me. So I'm not messed up with. Because this verse was messing with me for a long time. Because the way I was trained, faith is a choice. I believe because I choose to believe. According to that scripture, that's not working. (laughs) Because it's not something you do. Choice is something you do with your will, right? You choose to believe. You, 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 
You're making your own effort. But according to this scripture, faith doesn't qualify for this. Because it's not your own doing. It's a gift. Verse 9. There's nothing here to boast of. Since it's not result of your own effort. So believing is not your own doing and is not certainly not result of effort. Self-effort there is. It took effort but not self-effort. Because self-effort perpetuates more and more self-effort. Never evolves into living by faith. Because faith is a gift. Living by faith is a gift. Come on, Lord. I, I need to get this. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying here, but it's just like... There's nothing to boast of since not the result of your own effort. So in heaven, when you stand at, before the Lord at the, the day, woo, you can't boast of nothing. Of your own. Certainly if you're hoping to some gold reward. It can't be boasting of nothing of your own. <laughs> because they'll disqualify your own reward. Because you can't boast before him about that. But God, look at me. I brought this here. <laughs> it disappears somehow. <laughs> you did? What? Oh, it was right here. No, I can swear. I had a whole suitcase full of it. It's gone. And the only thing remains yeah. as yours is what you can boast about Him. Yeah. Amen. Okay, let's, let's get back to this faith thing because I just want to understand it. So I'm reading all these translations and I run into this translation that helped me understand this mystery of faith that is not my own doing, not my own choosing. So here it says, I'm not saying you have a choice, but we have to qualify how that works. Okay, because, again, we can't boast about nothing except Him. So we have to understand it. For it is by His grace that you've been saved through trusting Him. It's not your own doing. Now He doesn't say, this guy doesn't even say believing. He says trusting. And I'm going, Lord, how can I? Wait a minute. And it's like, I'm finally getting it. You can't believe in somebody unless you trust them. Ah, suddenly, we're putting the film... This sheds a little light now. Okay, I, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. Okay, I agree that. I can't believe in someone whom I don't trust. So really, in its essence of faith, is trusting. Okay, okay, I'm getting this. But still, explain to me about trusting. Because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the trusting, right? Because, like, it's not your own... It's by grace that you're saved through trusting, not your own doing. Wait a minute. Like, I'm doing the trusting here. How can you say it's not my own doing? Wait a minute. Don't you ask yourself stuff like that? I mean, I'm, I'm reading, I'm going, wait, wait. It's God's gift. Not a reward of the work done. So trusting is God's gift and not a reward for work done. There's nothing here to boast of, for we are God's handiwork. I'm talking about Christianity 
of its essence and defining our relationship with the Lord. I'm not talking about these great deeds for which we're designed to do. But I'm talking about what great deeds were required to get born again and to get direct access to God and to have a place of relationship with Him as sons and daughters. Because of His kindness, Living Bible says, because of His kindness you've been saved. That's another way of saying grace. But because of His kindness you've been saved through trusting Christ. And even trusting is not of yourself. It too is a gift from God. Wait a minute, Lord. I thought I'd make an effort to trust you. But you say even, even trusting is not of yourself. It too is a gift. Salvation is not a reward for the good we've done. So none of us could take credit for it. For God himself is he who has made us what we are and given us new lives in Christ Jesus. Long ages ago he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. <sighs> okay. Explain to me about this trusting thing because I just got to get it. I have to get it. And here's how I got an explanation. Okay, David, please stand up. I'm going to use this example. Both of you, actually, because you both. Yes. Okay. Here we got David and Sandy, and they're one for the virtue of their beautiful union, marital union together. So I can't just pull David out. It's got to get both. Although they have a relationship this way, but also they together have a relationship with the, the team, uh, the, the, the school. So it works mutually. And so here's how I understood this, because I had God, I said, please explain. Here's their character. I'm using David, but it's two of them. Here's David. And this is his character, and he is faithful. He's loyal. That's the reason there's a school. Because he is faithful and loyal and integral. Ooh. So, none of the students is straining and striving to trust them. When he goes and starts teaching them, they don't got this look like... <laughs> Guys, what are you doing? The reason they relax while he teaches is because he is faithful. And that gives the students the gift of trust. Because trust doesn't come this way. Trust is a gift. It comes to you from someone who you know. Know his character. And how do you know? Get to know him. Get around him. Hang around with him. Get to know him. And guess what? You relax. Why? Because they're faithful. Faithful to each other. And faithful to the Lord. 
They are faithful. This is the way they are. You don't have to strain to trust them. Just get to know them. And the reason they're faithful, you know why? Because they have embraced the faithful one. And that's what makes them leaders. The way they've embraced them, hold this, they have embraced Christ in, in such a way. And that's what makes leaders. It's not some, you know, it's not a position. It's something that you become automatically as you receive the Mr. Faithful. When you receive him and embrace him and begin to have fellowship with the faithful one, automatically become a leader. Because you carry the faithfulness of God. I have been crucified. I is the ego. It's no longer I who live but Christ. The life I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. not even your faith that you live by. According to Scripture, Galatians 2.20 in the King James Version, Version said, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Now, there are many translations who say the faith in the Son of God. But the King James and several other translations said the faith of the Son of God. So I'm going, wait a minute, is it of or in? I'm confused here because I see them both. So I call my Bulgarian team that are translating the Bulgarian Bible. You know, I have a whole team for 12 years that we supported to create this new, new version of the Bible. So I'm calling them. Every time I get in a corner by, I don't speak Greek, so calling my friends out there. I got, I got some scholars that don't even read Bulgarian. They just read Greek. They don't, they don't read the Bible in Bulgarian language. They just only read it in Greek. Ancient Greek is just for, for devotion. For fun, because that's, that's, that that's, they live that world in order to understand it. They live it. And, and I says, wait a minute, explain to me. It's like, it says one translation is the faith of the Son of God. Another one it says the faith in the Son of God. So what is the deal? Is it of or it's in? They say it's both. The Greek word is both. You could take it of and you could take it in. But if you choose to take it in, make sure you don't disqualified that is also of. Don't exclude. Because if you, if you choose to just say in, you got to say it in a way that doesn't mis- mislead people to believe that it's something that they do. So when you translate it, say it in a certain way. And so here's how a Bulgarian Bible says. It says, we live by the faith which is in the Son of God. 